right, hello everyone. This is Dr. Joel Rosen, the Stress Recovery Ninja, and I'm here with a special guest of mine. This is our third edition, Dr. Kerry Jones, whose passion and expertise lies in the areas of hormonal, adrenal, and thyroid health. She recognizes that imbalance can occur at any age and believes it's important to look at the big picture, such as the appropriate use of lab testing. Dr. Jones graduated from National University and National Medicine in Portland, Oregon, then went on to complete her residency in women's health, endocrinology, and hormones. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University with a master's in public health uh, and with a goal of doing more international work and health empowerment. Dr. Jones is an adjunct professor at NUNM and regularly con uh, consults, lectures, and writes on the topics of hormones, thyroids, adrenals, digestive issues, autoimmune, and more, both nationally and internationally. Uh, she is the medical director at Precision Analytical Incorporated, the world's leading laboratory in dried urine hormone testing. And she's come up for air since her world <laughs> tour last year, and I'm super excited that she's on the call. So, Carrie, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks, Joel. Super fun to be back. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Third time. Third time's the charm. This is our third. third time is the charm. So today we'll hold, we'll, we won't hold anything back. I was hoping to pick your brain on, on some of the new developments with precision analytical mm -hmm. and, uh, and also to talk about estrogen. But I know mostly everyone knows about you already, but there's probably some people with my audience that do doesn't know so much about you. So what, tell us a little bit about you that um, maybe that little bio that didn't tell us the insider secrets to Carrie Jones. <laughs> the insider secrets. Um, well, yeah. I, I tell people that I've wanted I've wanted to be a women's health doctor pretty much my whole life, and and so just like my bio says, I went into hormones and and women's health, and I I would I do men's health only because a lot of women bring along the men in their life, um, and they need, men need help too. Um, but my residency was in women's health and hormones. My practice focused in hormones and. Now that I work for a hormone company, it's it's the thing that I do. If you if you hurt your you know if you hurt your knee, don't come to me. If, if your kid is sick, don't come to me. <laughs> but if your hormones are broken, I got you. <laughs> right. I can help that. Are you still working one on one, or are you mostly doing lectures and research now? I do um, I do a lot of one on one consulting with practitioners. So I do a lot of case one on one. Um, but as far as patient one on one, I don't at the moment. I'm on a sabbatical. But I do a lot of practitioner one-on-one, -on -one. yeah. So with a sabbatical, with an open end to maybe getting back to it? Or, maybe, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah you never know. Yeah, absolutely. The tr my travel schedule is just way too much um, to be able to properly manage patients and then be on an airplane all the time. So that's not fair to my patients. So right. if the travel slows down or if I shift sort of priorities and perspectives, then Yes, it, it may happen. Okay, I like it. And so, yeah. so, 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 how? What I wanted to start with is with uh, some of the new developments that the Precision Analytical is is offering. And mm -hmm. and one of the main ones that I that I love is the idea of the Dutch uh, Complete Plus mm -hmm. that t takes into consideration the saliva component with capturing the the morning awakening response. So, right. give us some insights on why that's so great and so. Um, unique in terms of no one ever offering it and, and what clinical information it gives us for those that are exhausted and burnt out and not recovering and feeling like they're exhausted and just not functioning at the level they want to be. 
Right. So it's called, technically it's called the cortisol awakening response. We shorten it to CAR, the C-A-R. Um, but a lot of people have done, as you know, right, adrenal testing, and they're used to testing in the morning, around lunch, before dinner, and before bed. So they get this drawn out picture through their day. Well, the cortisol awakening response is very focused in the morning. It's, in fact, it's focused in the first hour of your day. So it's the, it's the most important thing your cortisol has to do. I mean, it's like the most important thing. So what it does is when you wake up in the morning, literally when your eyeballs open and light comes in, you get a response from your brain to your adrenals that says, make cortisol and make it fast. And so in the first 30 minutes of your eyeballs opening up, your cortisol should shoot up. And then it gradually starts to come down. And so the cortisol awakening response on testing, we test as soon as you wake up, we test 30 minutes later, and we test 30 minutes after that. Because I want to micro-focus on that up-down of cortisol in an hour, not spread out through the day per se. We do do more collections through the day, but hyper-focus on that morning. And if you think about it, a lot of people fall into one or two camps. They say, when I wake up in the morning, I am so tired. I hit snooze several times. I need caffeine. Um, it takes me forever to get out of bed. Um, you know, it takes me a couple hours to get going. The other people say, when I wake up in the morning, I have anxiety. I have panic. I feel rushed. I feel fight or flight. Um, I feel my heart's racing. I feel like I'm behind. I'm late. Um, and so you go one of two ways. And when you focus on that cortisol awakening response, I can see, does your cortisol go up too high? And that's why you feel panicky, anxious, you know, stressed, um, fight or flight, or is it too low or flatlined? And that's why you're so tired and need tons of caffeine and lay in bed for a while, or, you know, you feel pretty groggy. You've got the cup that says, don't talk to me before coffee. You know, like that's, that's the kind of person you are. And what's great is that when I can, when I can hyper-focus on that first hour of their day, I can, we can, we can help. We can, we can, we can have them do things in their lifestyle and how they take their supplements that make huge differences. And when they get their cortisol awakening response, right, then their cortisol response through the rest of the day gets better. So they don't necessarily get the afternoon fatigue or they feel they have sustained energy all day or their anxiety comes down or their panic or their stress or their worry. If we can just get that first hour of the day, right. It's cool. Right. And, and no, super cool. And then I'm guessing too, a lot of other testing uh, companies uh, or miss that awakening response based on, you know, if you're getting a peak 10 to 30 minutes after waking up and you're doing it at set times, uh, six and 11 and two and whatever, you're going to potentially miss that awakening response and not get that clinical information. How often does that happen to happen? It, it actually happens quite a bit. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, Google maps. So you can have Google maps that looks at the earth or you can zoom right in on your house. And so, you know, Google maps, maps that looks at the earth is what that standard throughout the day collection is, which is definitely a good general, like it's super fine for just the general cortisol person um, to get a snapshot, an idea. But if you need to zoom right in on your house and, and really see what's going on, then that's where the cortisol awakening response helps significantly. Because I, I can say in your morning of your day, it, you know, it's, it's bad, it's good, it's normal, it's high, it's low. And, and then we can, we can work to address it. 
Right. So now give us the insights on the added utility or benefit of having now the urinary component that looks at metabolized comp- mm-hmm. uh, parts of the, of, the, of the values and also your sex hormones. So what does that, how does that now round it out, Carrie? Well, and the, the great thing about this test is that you, you, like you said, you get all with, you get the urine. So you get all the benefits of um, melatonin, the, your total cortisol, um, your estrogen, your estrogen detox pathways, like you'd mentioned, you know, we'll touch on later, um, your testosterone, your DHA and those pathways. But because we get the cortisol awakening response now, again, it just helps me individualize my treatment suggestions that much better. And with our saliva, it is done in saliva. It is not done in urine. Um, it can only be done in saliva, but we do it in saliva. They're like um, rolled up cotton swabs. So some people say, I don't like saliva testing. I can't make a lot of saliva. It's hard to spit in a tube. Like, there's no way I could spit in a tube three times in an hour, but absolutely fair enough. So we have these little cotton swabs and people just stick them in their mouth, get them wet and spit them back out. I mean, it's super easy. And they just put them in the little container and snap the lid on. So you get the benefit of that with everything else you would get out of the dried urine. Like, like I said, melatonin, metabolites, detoxification pathways, and then you put it all together. Yeah, so it's brand new for me because I haven't done too many tests with them. I'm just curious, between the, the first sample and the second sample for the urine, which is two hours later, and then the cortisol awakening response, which would be all three done before that second mm-hmm. sample, are yeah. you seeing correlations between just those parts of the values um, or interesting patterns with the urine, the amounts, and with the saliva amounts? We do behind the scenes. So we, um, the way that our report is, we cannot report your saliva results with your dried urine results um, when it comes to the pattern. So we give the pattern for the cortisol awakening response because that's how it's done, you know, every 30 minutes. Um, but we do give you the total metabolized number for cortisols. But behind the scenes, when we break it out to see if it correlates, um, yeah, it correlates. It can, we often see, you know, higher cortisol metabolite production in the first part of the morning coming through the urine because that's when the cortisol awakening response happens. So all this cortisol is rushed to be made. Some of it's free. That's what we're catching in saliva, which is the free. The rest of it goes out in the urine. We catch that in the urine and then we go from there. Yep. So you can, you can really micromanage behind the scenes, I would imagine, to see a cortisol clearance issue, or you mm-hmm. can see if the person was just really stressed because it was a Monday and it was work, they had an awakening response, but mm-hmm. they'd actually didn't produce a whole lot. So it was kind of fool's gold. Are you seeing stuff like that too? When you look yeah. really behind like that? Absolutely. And actually, I mean, we, I mean, I always correlate it with the patient, right? So I will, I do a lot of, like I was saying, practitioner consults. And so when practitioners say, let's say it's really high, let's say the response is this huge mountain peak. And they'll say, Why, what causes a mountain peak? But their total isn't that high. So their, their total production is normal, but they get this mountain peak. So I'm like, go back to the patient, ask them, what is their morning like? What happened? Did they drink caffeine? Did they, was their kids sick? Did they wake up sick? Did they wake up in pain? Did they wake up and feel autoimmune? Um, you know, did they, do they, you know, whatever. Do they had a super, just like you said, it's Monday. They had a big stressful day at work coming up. It's anticipatory stress. And it's amazing the number of times practitioners come back to me with answers like, oh my gosh, this person, you know, has a, had a huge presentation that day that this person, um, you know, got in a fight with their partner that morning. Um, you know, this person woke up and their dog had thrown up and, you know, like all over their briefcase. And, 
And so I'm like, okay, every time they get stressed out, that huge mountain peak is what happens. They get this over response to stress. It doesn't matter that it was the dog, the kid, or the partner. It's, it's all the same. Um, they get an over, over response. And so at least I can say to them, all right, let's work so that every time you get this stressful response, we can have a more normal or balanced versus a hyper, you know, hit the fan type of response. Yeah, I think it's really insightful, Carrie, for two reasons. For number one, for the doctor to remember to be a doctor and ask questions, right? And find right. out what's going on with their patients' lives. Right. Um, but also for the patients to understand because they put a lot of stock in this and a lot of patients are being their own clinicians and ordering their own Dutch tests or ordering their own saliva tests. And they use it as a um, a, a broad sweeping conclusion of what's going on in their every single day. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and they got to understand that this is the day in the life of, you know, Mrs. Jones and, and, and understand the insight, <laughs> understand the insight of even if it is more stressed that day, um, that will explain it. But keep in mind, you're, you're having a, a response that is still awakening and, and, and doubling and, and versus someone who has a stressed response and, and doesn't have that awakening right. either. So mm -hmm. all the pieces information are super important that I think both lecture uh, doctor and patient need to be aware of would you agree and on that or absolutely a hundred percent I'm so glad you said that too because the of course the biggest question I get um, from either practitioners or even you know patients is well what do I take right what do I do what do I take and I'm like well well why in in my example why is the mountain peak so high and it's it, let's say it's um let's say it's pain. Let's say somebody wakes up every morning with extreme low back pain. You know, they, they have a tough time sleeping in bed. And so they wake up every morning with really bad back pain. And I'll say, well, you know, if you suppress the cortisol, you might actually make the pain worse. Cortisol is anti-inflammatory to a point. So instead of suppressing the cortisol, maybe work on the back pain, <laughs> maybe go for the right. cause, right? You know, or right. um, yeah. if somebody says, well, I wake, you know, every morning I fight with my partner because we're both disorganized, running out the door, trying to get the family together. And we end up, you know, fighting and nitpicking and snipping at each other. What should I take? I'm like, well, may, the, we know what the problem is. <laughs> the problem is, you know, like you're setting off your cortisol response because every morning you fight with your partner and snip or nitpick or yell at your kids. And so maybe address the cause and then you won't have to take anything for your cortisol. It will naturally come down. So, right. You know, it's, it's just, it's, so being a practitioner and asking the patient, tell me what your morning is like is huge. I've had so many practitioners come back to me and say, wow, I learned a lot about my patient by asking them about their morning. I'm like, I bet you did. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Because your morning is you know, different than my morning, right? Which is different than this person's morning. So. Right. I mean, not only ask the question, but the other insight I think you share there, and I hope practitioners understand as well as patients too, mm -hmm. is nothing as smart as the body, right? And, and, and when you try to micromanage the, the, the physiological signs that you see on a, even a, a great test like the Dutch test mm -hmm. and not understand that that's really what it was supposed to do in lieu of the, the disarray of the information that's causing it to do that, mm -hmm. let's look at addressing the information that's causing it to do that also versus right. just trying to bombard and steamroll with an adaptogen or something to, you know, to that. The, do you find that a lot in terms of switching gears on you? Um, when you look at five alpha activity, um, when it's upregulated 
um, which would cause more androgenicity or because of problems with uh, excess cortisol and having to clear that or 11 beta HSD, which decides between um, storing cortisol or, or, or making it available, whether it's localized tissue or in active or fat tissue. Do you find that those things don't go broken too often for the wrong reasons? They, they kind of do what they're supposed to do, given yeah. the circumstances, or a lot of the times they're just, they're not working properly. No, I would find the large majority, obviously not 100%, but I'd say the large majority, there's a big reason behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not even so much um, broken, although it can definitely be broken, but it's, it's a preference, right? Like your, the five elf is a really great example of the, if you favor the five alpha pathway, some people, especially men like that because it helps them feel more um, alpha, right? And it helps with energy and it helps with um, even to a degree, you know, some muscle and muscle mass. And so men like to favor, they think they like to favor some of the alpha, but too much. And now they have anger issues, irritation issues, you know, they're, they're rude. They've got prostate problems and male pattern baldness. And but the body just doesn't decide one day, like, oh, I'm going to be really five alpha today, just today for no reason, like randomly. It's not like a moody teenager who's just, you know, makes a decision and with no rhyme or reason. So it's something in the environment, something in, you know, you're doing something that's happening, something that's happened to you. And just like you said, the body is responding. So instead of trying to reroute the pathway, forcing it necessarily with supplements, although I'm a big fan of supplements, always work back to figure out what's what what caused the reroute go there right and with that being said though that's not to say that there can't be awesome clinical tools and decision making processes that can be gleaned from these tests right because right. they can tell you the preferential way that the body is making and breaking hormones and and how it's compensating and where it's going wrong and and what you can do to nudge it and increase the uh the way to get it back right again. I guess right. with, with that being said, um, what I did want to talk to you about was for women, right? I mean, yeah. uh, hormone imbalance, uh, taking uh, bioidenticals, being perimenopausal, being menopausal. Uh, and so they, they hear about the Dutch test. Um, they know it's better than the, particularly the saliva test because it can incorporate the saliva components with the awakening mm -hmm. response, plus all the metabolic downstream uh, components of the sex hormones and, mm -hmm. and the metabolized hormones. So let's talk about that, uh, Carrie. I wanted to talk to you about, first of all, um, the difference between phase one and phase two and how the Dutch helps us understand, firstly, how phase one is working and what information we can glean from there first. What would you, what would you tell us about that? Absolutely. So um, there are uh, three phases to estrogen detoxification, right? But um, in the Dutch test and urine testing, we can pick up one and two. Phase three is generally done through stool testing, typically. Um, so your, your man or woman, I mean, we're talking about women, but men too, you know, we make an estrogen or, or women take estrogen um, and then you're done with the estrogen. You don't need it anymore. So you have to detoxify it. So it gets pushed through phase one detox first. Um, and with phase one detoxification, you have three pathways that you can choose from. Um, that we test. And so there's a two pathway, there's a four pathway, and there's a 16 pathway. So the two pathway is generally considered less risky, less cancer risk, so to speak. The four pathway, if it continues, if it goes all the way down the pathway, it has a much higher propensity for cancer. Um, it's the one that uh, causes holes in DNA, which results in you having to fix your holes, but if you fix them incorrectly, now you have mutations. 
And then the 16 pathway we call a proliferative pathway. Great for bones, bad for boobs. So it makes things like bones, you know, strengthen and be healthy, um, but it will also make breasts grow. So these are women who say, at PMS time, I have tender breasts, my breasts feel a lot fuller and bigger. These are women with breast cancer, it will make breast cancer grow. So we sort of loosely refer to it as the proliferative um, pathway. And that's just phase one. And everything in phase one, we call a react, they're all kind of reactive oxygen species, which means they can do more damage than good overall. And they have to be neutralized. And once they're neutralized, then you can urinate them out or, you know, out in the bowel movement. So then they move into phase two and phase two is when it gets neutralized. And that's what we pick up on the Dutch test as well. Do you neutralize fast? Do you neutralize slow? Um, do you neutralize at all? Are you broken? <laughs> and so we can, so we can tell the difference between do you have a phase one problem, a phase two problem, or a both problem, which is so helpful, both for men and women, but especially women when we're really concerned about estrogen dominant cancers, estrogen dominant symptoms, you know, PMS, endometriosis, mood swings, weight gain, things like that. So it's really helpful. Right, right. Awesome summary. So as far as um, with the phase one, you have a, a pie diagram that says what the ratios relative should be going down the 2OH and the 4OH and the 16OH. And you can look at that first, but there's also there could be a discrepancy with even though the ratios look like they're in, in proper ratios, not to say that if they're out of ratio, there's a whole bunch of other things going on, but let's say they're in ratio, but the, the clearance is low compared to the amounts of estrogens that are dripping into those metabolites in the first place. So what's going on there, Carrie? So it's, um, the ratios are only a percentage of the amount of estrogen coming through. So, um, and, and, and the ability of your phase one. So if you have, like, let's say you have a lot of estrogen in your body and that it's causing your two, your four and your 16 pathway to be heavy a lot, right? So a lot of estrogen coming through. So a lot is in detox. Your ratios might look normal because it's coming through with the right ratio but everything's red. It's, it's, it's too much. It's a lot. There's a lot of two, a lot of four, a lot of 16. So what I'll say to people is the amount coming through is appropriate, but it's still too much. It's still, you know, way too much estrogen coming through. So we, and we don't, I don't like things in the red, <laughs> especially the four and especially the 16. So even if the ratio is fine, it's still an exponential amount. So we have to dial back the red. So it's, when you look at the Dutch test, it does take a little bit of finesse to look at the actual result, how much of the four pathway is actually turned on, and then what is the percent compared to the other two? And, and it's just using some common sense, like, oh, the four pathways in the red, that's bad. It can increase the risk for cancer. It doesn't matter what the ratio is. We should probably do something about it. We don't like a cancer pathway in the red, no matter what. And, and then, but in other times, they match up, they match up and look really good. The, the ratio is appropriate. Everything's right in range. and the person looks great in their phase one detox. And, and are there a third time? I, I imagine there's a fourth and fifth, but is there a third yeah. time where the ratio is good, but the, the absolute amount isn't in the red, but it's more coming in than going out as well? Um, Meaning like E1 and E2 would be, say, relatively in a higher range than the actual yes. amounts that are absolute in the two and the four yes. and the 16. Yeah, right. so it'd be like um, it'd be like having a really full lake, and the the dam that's supposed to be relieving the pressure is just a slow trickle. 
So you're tons of estrogen, right? Your lake is really full, but you got to open up the dam more to, to drain it um, out of the system and get it down the right pathway. So the ratio okay. can still look cool, uh, right. good. Right. Cool. But good you, and cool at the same time cool same is very time. cool. Yes. <laughs> Yes. But you know you have to open up that dam because you have to relieve that estrogen pressure. But you want it to go the right pathway. You still want to direct right. it as a practitioner. Right. And, and would that instance in that specific instant be more of a, a, a kidney clearance, a, a concern there? What other, what other concerns would happen if there was a discrepancy between the, the lake and the dam and, the, and the end, what's coming out on the other side? So your ability to get from your just floating around estrogens to phase one um, are directed by your CYP enzymes. So um, those are um, what sort of regulate the dam. And so things that will slow down your CYP enzymes are like iron deficiency or being kind of low in iron, which is very common for women to be low or borderline low iron. So we find if we get women's iron stores back up that their CYP enzymes actually do a whole lot better. Um, and the reason for that is all those enzymes are heme dependent, which of course is iron related. Um, and then there's some other like environmental factors, environmental toxicities, um, environmental exposure, if you've got that in your house, your, in your body, in your hobbies, um, in the air you breathe, like that can really affect the ability of your CYP. And if we can help clean that up, then the dam works a whole lot better at draining the lake. And so there are these, so these like little nuances that we know can really affect the ability of you to get from point A to point B, you can slow it down. Okay, great, excellent. And then as far, and there's SNPs too with the CYP have SNPs and obviously medications and copper dysregulation and mm -hmm. everything. So, so can you just give us a list, like a listener? Um, well, let's just say absolute high and absolute low. Um, what would I feel if I had really high estrogen versus if I had really low estrogen? Because I feel a lot of people feel they have this or they have that, but they're not really sure until they actually do a test. So what would right. be like, right. like low estrogen feelings and high estrogen feelings? So in, most women and men too are really familiar with the high estrogen things. These are your, um, your anger, mood swings, uh, PMS, tender breasts, full breasts, heavy periods, clotty periods, crampy periods, um, endometriosis, adenomyosis. Um, these are all sort of, and, and of course, having a history of estrogen, um, potentially estrogen positive breast cancer and any kind of estrogen related endometrial cancer, what have you. Now, low estrogen, we commonly think of like your typical menopausal symptoms, but women of all ages can have low estrogen, but the symptoms are similar. So they may feel brain fog, um, maybe some depression, hot flashes, night sweats, joint pain. Estrogen is very lubricating. So as their estrogen goes down, their joints start to feel sort of creaky and painful. Vaginal dryness, skin dryness, eye dryness. Again, estrogen is very lubricating. Um, and so those are some of your low estrogen feelings. Now, if women are, I mean, the, the menstrual cycle goes up and down, but if, if, if it swings too greatly, if they're too high and then too low, I definitely have women that say, well, I get hot flashes sometimes and I have terrible PMS with heavy periods. Like I, you're probably really extreme in your up down of your estrogen. And so, you know, testing, broader testing is probably pretty important. Whereas other women are pretty consistent. They're like, no, I get hot flashes all the time. Like it doesn't matter. Or other women are the opposite. They're like, wow, I have severe 
you know, I bleed for seven days. It's really heavy. I get really bad cramps. I have really, you know, big clots. You have hot flashes? No, I don't have any hot flashes. I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's probably, you're, you know, so it's, it can be either end of the range. Now, the other really interesting thing, though, is that having those metabolites, those, those, knowing those estrogen detox pathways can be so helpful because I've had lots of women say, I go get my blood tested, I go get my saliva tested, and my estrogen was normal, Why? but I have all these symptoms. Again, if you have too much of this 16 pathway, like I said, is proliferative, then you get this sort of, we call it like a second level estrogen dominance, so to speak, because 16 is proliferative, heavy periods, full tender breasts, what happened, you know, PMSE. And so knowing on the Dutch test, I can say, well, you're not estrogen dominant at the superficial level, but you are at the secondary level. So let's address it. Right. Combined with if there's a slow clearance and the dam's not clearing, yeah. even though it seems like it's high, but it's actually low because it's not, you know, it's recycling and blocks receptors and yada, yada. So, yeah. all right. So then that, that, that phase one is that first part. And then phase two, um, which I think a lot of readers or listeners need to understand, it's not only methylation dependent, right? right. I mean, it's all the other phases of, of detox phase two, too, and right. glucuronidation and sulfation and methylation right. and all of that above. But tell us how now um, what we see on Dutch tests a, a lot of the time with um, with slow methylation and what that, what the end result of that would be. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Dutch test, we, what you'll see is the two, the four and the 16 pathway. And then you'll see, and in that pathway, um, has an OH, which is called a hydroxy. So it's two hydroxy, four hydroxy, 16 hydroxy. That's phase one. And then when the hydroxy becomes a methoxy, cause it goes through methylation, um, then it becomes two methoxy. And so um, my analogy is always the same, which is always around water. Um, phase one is like your bathtub, right? And so the water coming in your bathtub, how much water is it coming in fast? Is it coming in slow? Is it two water, four water, 16 water? Phase two is the ability of your drain. Is your drain open enough for the amount of water coming in? Is it too closed? Is it open, but not open? You know, it needs to be open wider. Is it blocked? And so primarily the SNP that makes the enzyme is, is COMPT or C-O-M-T. COMPT is the methyl donor that turns the hydroxy to the methoxy. But lots of people say, well, I have MTHFR, right? What about MTHFR? MTHFR is important in the methylation cycle. It is a part of it, um, but it's COMPT. It's the COMPT enzyme that does the work. So we look a little more there, although the whole the whole cycle is important. So then when we look at on the Dutch test, I can tell you for the amount of estrogen you have coming in, your detox is great. For the amount of estrogen you have coming in, it's not, you know, or it needs to be faster. So, which is really nice because then we can specifically address phase two, just like we can specifically address phase one. Right, right. And so, and then I would imagine if there's, if there's low estrogen to begin with, like I had on a recent test, and uh, and you, it's hard to really discern how well phase one and phase two are doing, right? When you say, yep. as you say, you're scrapping the bottom, scraping the bottom of the of the barrel, right? So, yeah. Yep. What, what can you explain a little bit about that, just so that the a lot of women who are in that postmenopause range that have really low estrogen levels and they really don't know what to make of if phase one or phase two is good, and right. what does my practitioner do to help me here? 
Right. So um, if you have really low, below level levels of estrogen, then um, again, my analogies are always water-based. So it's like a dried up riverbed. So it's like you, Joel, asking me um, how much water comes through that, how much water comes through that riverbed, right? Which is like detox. And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's pretty much dried up. I can, I can guess based on where the water line is and where the foliage comes in, you know, into the riverbed. But I won't know unless water actually comes in to the river to tell you how much is coming through. Detox is the same way. If you have, if you have very low levels, close to zero coming through, then close to zero is coming through your phase one and close to zero is coming through your phase two. So it's really hard to evaluate what your preference is because you're close to zero. So in that case, you can support both phase one and phase two, just generally. Or in some women, they're going to go on estrogen hormone replacement therapy. So they'll go on hormone replacement therapy, fill up the riverbed, and then repeat the test. And now with a fuller riverbed, I can tell you, okay, on estrogen replacement therapy, here are the pathways you choose. And if you're detoxing, if you're methylating, and so then we can properly address it. Right, so right. It's, it's tougher when they have next to zero. Sure, sure. And then most of the time they're doing E3, which is going down the, the 16-OH metabolite path anyways. Does it confound a little bit of the, the it's problem? More the, it's more the other way. So primarily 16 turns into E3. So E2 turns into E3, primarily um, uh, 16 turns into E3. E3 is considered a, um, I think Wikipedia calls it a metabolic dead-end product of estrogen, which is so sad because E3 is so helpful in so many ways, but once the body makes it E3, then it gets excreted out. Now, but yeah. when women do E3, when they, when they take E3, especially vaginally, um, one of the things we suspect that there's, we call, it's called conjugation, that in the vaginal tissue, there's local conjugation. The vaginal tissue uses it and deals with it locally. And sometimes that does show up on the Dutch test. So it's not a systemic thing. It's more of a a vaginal thing, but you can do vaginal hormones and do the Dutch test. It doesn't contaminate it. Gotcha. Okay. So, and then just an aside, if, if, you know, a lot of women have had estrogenic cancers and then they get placed on uh, aromatized inhibitors, mm -hmm. um, our doc, I'm curious, are doctors, conventional doctors who probably never heard of the Dutch test before, are they missing out on a clinical tool that could teach them about the necessity of allowing some of that riverbed to drop to, to get more fluid again to see what you can do naturally to have it go down the proper pathway versus just cutting the the the, the supply right at the at the valve of the turn on and what's your well, thought on that it depends how much how with their dose of the aromatase inhibitor so some of them drops them down and next to zero and some of them doesn't so sometimes i have post breast cancer patients on um, an aromatase inhibitor, we run a Dutch and their estrogen levels are actually appropriately menopausal. And so the phase one and phase two is, a, is, is appropriate. Like we can, we can see the pathways clearly enough, but what's, but I, to go back to your very first part of the question, um, I do think that part is getting missed. If you're a conventional oncologist or you're conventional, somebody who works with cancer patients and you just throw them on an aromatase inhibitor, um, Estrogen still gets through, and if you're still going down, they're still preferring to go down the four pathway, even the 16 pathway, there's still, like, their risk is a little higher than the average bear still, because there's, 
they're on the inhibitor, but there's still whatever estrogen sneaks through there's, or gets, you know, made is still going down the wrong pathway. So you still should address that for a pathway no matter what. So what, what's been great is that um, we have a lot of functional medicine oncology specialists who run the Dutch test. So we see a lot of cancer results come through and that's what they're looking for. Their patient is on, you know, um, uh, like tamoxifen, so it's, which blocks the estrogen receptor, or they're on an aromatase inhibitor, which stops the conversion of DHEA and testosterone into estrogen. Um, and and they, they're looking for the downstream effects. They're looking for phase one, phase two, because they know they can be so proactive to help this woman. Right. Which is really super cool. Right. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, like you said, it still comes down to fundamentals, right? At, at the respiratory or at the cellular level, being able to breathe properly from a metabolic standpoint. And, and that's not happening with blocking receptor or conversion activity. It's happening with being a fundamentalist in terms of getting the person healthy. Right. right? I, think, right. You know, I think it's a paradigm shift, but either way, I'm glad. Thank you for sharing your insights on that. Uh, yeah. As far as um, the other components on the on the Dutch test, which are not, are not, how long have the organic acids been on there now for, Carrie? Exactly a year. We released them January 2018, and it's January 2019 as we talk. So Right. And then are you allowed to announce what happened January 2nd? Or <laughs> yes. <are> you, okay. <laughs> yeah. So right. we um, switched out two of them. So we used to offer 5-H-I-A-A, which is an, um, it's called a, ser it's a serotonin metabolite. The problem with that one, which a lot of organic acid companies can ha have, have trouble with, is that it's um, very influenced by food. There's a big list of foods that have serotonin in it. And so we would be getting these elevated levels and we wouldn't know if it was food-based um, or supplement-based uh, or a real big concern is that there are tumors. There are tumors that make right serotonin 5-HIAA. And so we were constantly having to tell practitioners, we don't know if it's food. <laughs> And if it's hot, really high, we don't know if it's a tumor. So like, that's really concerning. And, and we were having to repeat a lot or we have on our instructions, don't eat these foods. They have serotonin in them. Well, some of the foods are like bananas and avocados and nut butters. And, you know, people eat that all day long. So they, so they would just keep eating it. And um, so we got, we actually ended up getting rid of that marker. It, it was just too, in, um, too concerning. And instead we added in chinuronic acid, um, which is a mouthful. But kynurinic acid is a. Uh, what was it that you added in? I didn't hear you. Kynurinic, I know, right? Kynurinic oh, acid. No, sorry, I didn't hear you. What was it again? <laughs> um, it's an inter It's a B6 marker, which is what it's um, like simplified. It's a B6 marker. So if the if kynurinic acid is high, it means you need more vitamin B6. However, that marker is also um, known as a reactive oxygen species um, scavenger, which is good. Um, it can be anti-inflammatory to a point. It can lower glutamate to a point. Glutamate is a brain neurotransmitter and too much of it causes brain on fire and, you know, neuronal cell death and nobody wants that. Um, so it can actually be helpful when it's elevated as well. Now too elevated and you actually could be, it, there's some implication with schizophrenia and epilepsy and some other, you know, brain related issues. So just like everything, it's a balance. But we've added that marker in instead. So B6 and plus some of these other cool things that it does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that IDO enzyme for, for inflammatory neuro excitotoxin, mm -hmm. 
um, is, is protective, but you can also tell that you're having a, a, a bit of a diversion of your pathway from a serotonin producing pathway to more of a, um, I guess, emphasis on um, inflammatory control right. pathway. I guess that yeah, would be the yeah. information you get from it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, Especially when you look at, we look at the other marker on that pathway, xanthurinate. We, we do not look at uh, quinolinic acid, but we do look at xanthurinate. So if, um, I don't know who named these things. Like, why can they make them just something easy to say? So yeah. xanthurinate and if quinolinic, or quinolinic, xanthurinate and kynurinate are high, then we know that pathway is really being pushed right. pretty heavily. And as you and I know, there's certain um, things that push that pathway that a lot of patients experience and have to deal with. Right. Yeah, definitely microbes and, and clostridia and stuff like that. Cortisol, as far estrogen. as yeah, well, we're going to ask you that. So, yeah. what's the relationship there, Carrie, between um, the estrogen levels being either high or low, and then serotonin levels for? So, what can can you draw a connection there for us? Yeah, absolutely. So, if, if you have too high of estrogen, men or women, it doesn't matter. If you have too high of estrogen, then instead of going happily down your serotonin and then melatonin pathway. Um, you will turn tail and you will go down a different pathway, which is the one we've been talking about, the kynurinine pathway. And the point of the kynurinine pathway is to make NAD. So it's, it's to help you fight and you know, help your mitochondria and be anti-inflammatory. So in that regard, it's really good, but it's at the expense of your serotonin and melatonin. So now people with high estrogen are depressed, right? And they can't sleep or they can't stay asleep. And so it's because of this pathway, the shift in this pathway. They can fight the infection and they get their mitochondria at the expense of mood and the expense of sleep, at the expense of sleep. Now, on the flip side, if you are a woman with low estrogen or even a man, so when the body makes, takes um, tryptophan and then makes 5-HTP, so the body makes tryptophan, that turns into 5-HTP, that turns into serotonin, and that turns into melatonin. So the very first step, tryptophan to 5-HTP requires estrogen, in your brain to touch on the estrogen receptor. And the estrogen receptor helps your body make the enzyme that tells tryptophan to make 5-HTP. So if you're low in estrogen, let's say you're perimenopausal, menopausal, you're a woman who hasn't had her period in a long time, you have amenorrhea, PCOS, you're low estrogen, now you can't make 5-HTP. And if you can't make 5-HTP, you can't make serotonin. And if you can't make serotonin, you can't make melatonin. And so now you're depressed and you can't sleep. So it's not fair. We can't win with estrogen. Like it literally has to be this perfect balance a right, lot of right. time, you know, for women. I mean, men too, but really for women, we cycle the most. We, I mean, we fluctuate all over. So if with high levels, you're just shunting the pathway away from serotonin. And with low levels of estrogen, you just can't build it. Can't get through. You, right, right, exactly. Right. So what's your advice? Because someone just asked me this today on even though we have so much estrogen disruptors in the environment um, on just good old fashioned phytoestrogen quality foods, because it's kind of controversial in terms right. of should I or shouldn't I? What's your thought on that? Um, like, uh, I guess, flax, yeah, stuff like that. Right. So, well, I, and I like, I like flax seeds. I am careful with flax seeds, um, not, not flax oil, but ground up flax seeds are considered phytoestrogens. So a lot of my perimenopausal, menopausal women use it to help counterbalance hot flashes, night sweats, what have you, or anything, 
anything estrogen, it's a balancer. But ground flax seeds also raises sex hormone binding globulin. Sex hormone binding globulin acts like a bus that picks up testosterone and puts it inside. So I'm really careful on the dose. If women say I have estrogen problems, but I also have low sex drive or I'm losing lean body mass, my testosterone's low because I don't want to drive their testosterone any lower. But if she's a woman who has estrogen problems and she has high levels of testosterone, like maybe PCOS women, then I'm a big fan of ground flax seeds. So I am gotcha. just I am careful with ground flax seeds. I love them. But if she's already testosterone deplete, I don't want to make that worse. I have, you know, because a lot of women will do two tablespoons, three tablespoons, you know, they'll put it in their smoothie, they're on their salads, they'll make muffins, they'll do all this stuff to get their ground flax seeds in, and then their libido goes lower. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Right, right. Sure. Um, when it comes to soy, I tell women to, you know, try obviously to choose, um, non, I mean, try, right, non-GMO, organic. Um, and to go try to go for fermented, so um, miso, tempeh, edamame. Um, I just I think Americans are of the idea that if a little bit's good, then it, then a lot of it's better. And the more processed it is, it's even better than that. So we all jumped on the soy, right? We have soy milk, soy protein powder, soy protein bars, soy cookies, soy ice cream, soy, 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 soy. And I we know it's highly processed, probably totally GMO'd, soy is heavily sprayed. Um, and so I am everything in moderation, but really moderate soy, be real careful. Right. You, right. you go get sushi and you want edamame or you go get sushi and you want miso soup, go for it. But if you've also had, you know, two smoothies with soy protein in it that day made with soy milk and you had your soy protein bar because that's what you snack on, then probably too much. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like Goldilocks and the three bears, right? I mean, just like yes. the, the tryptophan and the serotonin could be too high and it doesn't get through or the too low and it doesn't get through. Same yep. thing with, with flax in a sense. But um, I guess just to summarize, if you have concerns for PCOS and too much androgenicity, um, a little more could be helpful because the, the, it binds more of the sex hormone binding globulins produced more. It binds a little bit more of the testosterone and renders it less active. If you are, on the other hand, low testosterone to begin with um, and you take too much flax, uh, then you bind too much of it up, not allowing it to be utilized. Yeah. What would you say for those that, again, that have like an estrogen-like cancer, because there's controversy on that, where would they fit on that side of the road? With taking flax? Yeah. Or with soy or anything like that? So, yeah, just, just uh, phytoestrogens. Oh, well, so there's actually some good studies to show that phytoestrogens, like the food phytoestrogens don't increase the risk um, of estrogen cancers. In fact, I think I have an Instagram, I actually list the PMID um, study um, where they looked at a whole lot of studies to say that they didn't find it increased the risk of, um, of breast cancer, uh, ER positive, estrogen receptor positive breast cancers, phytoestrogens uh, in foods. Right. So, I mean, I, I, again, I think it's because there's so much disruptors, right, obviously, and then inflammation causes these these pathways to not go through completion or shunt to a certain way and, and right. then deplete uh, uh, glutathione and, and, and create holes in your DNA, as you mentioned. Right. So right. Uh, 
yeah. So I always like to give some take homes, Carrie, um, in terms of, okay, well, I just listened to this, you know, what, what's my best now that my head's spinning and I just drank, you know, from a fire hose and water's coming out of my ears. What the heck do I do here? What would you give in terms of reassuring them that the sky's not falling and there's definitely a way to support yourself? What would, what would be the rest recommendations in that? Absolutely. And we, we touched on it earlier, but, um, there's, there's a lot you can do that doesn't cost a lot of money to help fix these imbalances, right? Or to help, to help get you sort of on the right, on the right path. So for example, the cortisol awakening response. Well, we know when your eyes open, it, it's reflect, it, um, it, it kicks off when the eye, when the sun or the light of your bedroom or your phone goes into your eyes. And so if you have a low cortisol awakening response, then I tell men and women, go look, go outside, open up your drapes, get full spectrum light bulbs. Like in the first five minutes of waking up, make brightness, but make real brightness, mimic the sun. If you are living in a sunny state, go out in your deck, your patio, your porch. If you live in my state, which is um, Oregon and we don't, you know, we get, we get sunshine like the month of July, then you have to fake it. And you do, you go buy full spectrum light bulbs and that helps immensely. And I've had more people email me to say, you know, it takes a couple of weeks but I'm noticing a huge difference. Like I'm, I'm getting more and more and more awake in the morning. And I'm like, it, like turn it on immediately. Go buy the little boxes that sit on your counter or your dresser or whatever, your, your desk at work and you know, have, some, have some bright light around you. Not fluorescent, but like these full spectrum. Um, when it comes to estrogen detox, like phase one detoxification really likes the brassica family. Your broccoli, your kale, your cauliflower, your broccoli sprouts, um, your Brussels sprouts. So. Put an emphasis on that in your diet. Make sure that they're organic. Um, and, and really that'll help significantly your phase one. Your phase two is really dependent on magnesium. Take Epsom salt baths, you know, do get, make sure you've got your, you've got your, your magnesium is at a good level. Take magnesium. So it's these, it's these sort of simple things that I think people think, oh, I need a supplement. This is going to be so expensive. I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I'm like, no, we just have to get back to the basics. Just like you were saying earlier, like we just have to take a step back, get back to the basics. Sleep, like a lot of these hormones, you know, are really dependent on how much you do and don't sleep. So get off your phone at night, you know, get up, go wear the blue light blocking glasses, go to bed at a decent hour. And, and there's these little tweaks. People are like, oh yeah, that's right. I should do that, huh? Or they're like, I make my kids do that, but I don't do that. I'm like, well, Right. You're just as important. Yeah. <laughs> Stop being a shoemaker and fix right. your shoes. Right? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I, just to echo what you say, it, it comes down, which I told you in the beginning, like circadian biochemistry, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're a creature of the, of the earth, the sun and the moon. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just as important as it is to get that sunlight on you and, and help with vitamin D and serotonin, close off those lights when, when the sky when the sky starts getting dark outside. I mean, you yeah. got to do both, right? Right. And yeah. then on top of that, like we, we mentioned too, um, you know, when as a clinician, you ask your patients what happened this morning. Um, oh, I got in a fight with my husband. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, understand the, the real time uh, stress response in your body and how mm-hmm. that's impacting a your circadian rhythm and how that's impacting just your your basic cellular function and your right. ability to maintain a thermostat with all the levels topped off and being able to be flexible enough to uh, increase your demand without breaking you know breaking the the mold or getting too past the flexibility point kind of thing. Right, exactly. And just like I'm sure you tell people, you know, it, it takes 
it takes humans a long time to break down. And so don't expect right. change in a weekend, you know? So if patients come to see you on Friday and you're like, hey, tomorrow I want you to go to bed at a decent hour, get up, go outside, open your drapes. And they do it one time and they're like, it didn't work. Right, yeah, right. I know, I know it didn't work yeah. one time. Like, it's going to take you're time. Right. It took you a right. long time to you're break. Not a magician, right? Right. Physician. Yeah. Yeah, physician, not magician. Yeah. yeah. So, so I always ask Carrie this a new one. I got this from Dr. Lynch. I loved it in his in his questions about uh, it was the um, the dirty jeans and what you know now um, and and what you would have wished you knew back then with what you know now in terms of helping your stress response. Um, what would be the one thing that you would have been more vigilant about that you would you know maybe that we just talked about here to make um, sure. Yeah prioritizing sleep and i tell you um it's because of this 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 tracker ring the aura ring which i have no affiliation with it's just when i check my stats every single morning it's like this really fun video game but it's against myself about me and i'm right. the one screwing i'm the one screwing me up right, right. and so right. if i screw me up i have to own that or recognize it and and change it for next time so if i eat too late at night if i'm up too late at night um, like I've pretty much, I, I wasn't a big alcoholic drinker before. Um, but now I rarely drink because it completely screws up my deep sleep and deep sleep is when you right. heal and repair and do all that men make testosterone. And so I wish I had started tracking my sleep a long time ago because I think it, it just, I missed a lot of sleep. I missed a lot of good quality <laughs> sleep. <laughs> right, uh, right. It's so insightful too, and just the timing of things. Be consistent, right? I mean, right. go to bed as much as you can at the same time. Wake mm -hmm. up at the same time. Have your meals at the same time. Mm -hmm. Get sunlight. Get darkness, and and keep it simple, right? Without right. looking for the magic formula. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And just like I was saying earlier, it's it's it takes it takes time. It takes rhythm and repetition. I mean, it is the circadian rhythm, so it will take a rhythm in your life to do it, but. Man, I get so many messages from people who say, I just implemented that little change of following a rhythm, um, a sun moon rhythm, and it's right. made a huge difference. I'm like, I know we forget, we're so on, we're so plugged in, we're so, you know, we have right. the light on, we have our 65 inch TVs turned on, we're on our phones, we have, you know, our computer on, we're right. surrounded by Wi Fi. Like, of course, the brain is like, okay, I guess we're awake. It's, it's clearly right, amazing. right, we forget. We forget. I, I watched the podcast of, uh, of Mike Mutzel. I had an interview with him not too long ago, mm -hmm. and he interviewed the CEO of the Aura Ring. And, you know, they're Harpreet. talking about biohacking. Yeah, yeah, Harpreet. Yeah, he's on my list. So I tell him he, I'm coming to get him. But um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so he interviewed the guy, uh, Harpreet. And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting because he said, oh, like, okay, so what stats do you have that are, you know, what's, what can you, what's a good hack to, mm -hmm. you know, to see that your sleep goes up, your HRV goes up, your stress response goes down. What's the best one that you find? He goes, you know what? And I thought it was just interesting. I'm teasing a little bit, but he said, you know, go on vacation because you'll see. And it's like, yeah, go figure. Right. I mean, <laughs> go on vacation. Like, you know, it's not rocket yeah. science people. Yeah. Right. I mean, it makes sense that when you finally allow yourself the permission to turn off your mind and, and just undo the top button. All of a sudden you feel that your, your body heals. Right. I yeah. mean, it's amazing. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. So, it's funny. I always ask, um, I always ask about libido. You know, I get asked all the time, how do I raise my libido? One of my questions I ask is when you go on vacation, just the two of you, no kids, no other people, 
how is your libido? Like what happens? And, and most of the time, not always, but most of the time people are like, oh, it's fantastic. You know, oh yeah, we, you know, libido is not a problem. I'm like, well, right. you just figured out There's what your, your problem answer. is. <laughs> There's your right. answer. There's your it's answer. stress. Yeah. It's right. not you. It's stress. <laughs> Or they, they never haven't, they haven't been on vacation, just the two of them. That's, that's that, the other Yes, answer, that's, right? yep, I, that happens a lot, right? Parents are like, I haven't left my right. kids yet. I'm like, yeah, something right. to consider. <laughs> yeah, I remember I have twins and they're two years old before we went on a first date night again. And I remember looking out on a Friday like, oh my God, there's people that have lives. Look at these people <laughs> that go out on a Friday night. Like it was this underworld of people like having a social life. I couldn't believe it. So, and not talking anyways. to baby talk. <laughs> Yeah, right. No, there's no baby top. So, so Carrie, I appreciate it. Um, as always, uh, pleasure. I always, I always joke around and say, I do this more for me than the patients because I learn so much, but I do it. I really do it for the patients and uh, hopefully they got a lot of advice out of it or a lot of good site, uh, information. Is there anywhere they can follow you or get information about what you do if they wanted to learn more, like your social sites and stuff like yeah. that? Where would they Abs find you? Absolutely. Yeah. Instagram is my absolute favorite because I'm super visual. So it's dr.carryjones. That's my handle. And if they want to learn more about the test we're talking about, it's dutchtest.com. Right. Then so. D-U-T-C-H, right? Yeah. And that's it. Awesome. And uh, well, listen, I hope you have a, uh, you go, you caught some air. Now you go down and take a, you know, a, a dive again and do your craziness yes. and, and everything goes well for you for 219. And, and we'll, we'll get you back on for a fourth time sometime, uh, maybe this year or the end, the ne beginning of next year. I love it, Joel. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Gary. Have a, a wonderful day. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.